to another episode of Today's Lesson, a Nick Cave podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Sean. And today we're going to be talking with you about the second track from Tender Prey. It's called Up Jump the Devil. Sean, how you doing? You know, I'm I'm doing wonderfully. It's a brand new year. It's a it's a brand new album for us and we're just about to dive into one of my one of my favorite songs of Nick Cave's ever and so I couldn't be better. Andrew, are you feeling good? I'm feeling good. This is indeed the first cast of the new year. We took some time to rest on our laurels. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm much in agreement about this song. Uh, definitely a favorite. Um, and an interesting interesting uh, mood change from the last song we talked about. It is. It's uh, It's an interesting turn musically. Um, I think it's a completely different vibe, but, uh, as we'll get into it, I think there are some similar themes. I think that we're dealing with, uh, a lot of, a lot of similar subject matter here. So not too much of a departure in that department. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this song was written by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. This is extremely rare. We've seen, you know, in the past, you know, Cave get all the credit for writing music, as well as the lyrics, or maybe, you know, one or two members of the Seeds credited for music. This is credited to Nick Cave and every member of the Seeds at the time. Wow, that is kind of wild. That That's interesting, and it is, I guess its uniqueness kind of kind of shows that. It's, it's not super surprising to me because this is somewhat of a one-off um, from everything before it and on this album. I think it kind of stands alone musically. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I the only through line to this song from anywhere else to me kind of is, I guess, the carny. It's jaunty. It's silly. Yeah. It's you know, chaotic and weird. But yeah, no, this this really is a, a beast of its own. Yeah, and with that, getting into the music, you know, this song does make use of the whole ensemble. For me, the the bass uh, and Roland Wolf's piano kind of steals the show. And give it this kind of bouncy, as I said before, jaunty, um, almost burlesque kind of feel to it. That yeah, you're totally right. I don't, I don't think we hear it uh, anywhere else in his career. No, and and like you said, the bass just comes grinding in and immediately provides that that bounce, that just like rubber spookiness. It, it's super. I don't know. It gives off like haunted mansion vibes, but like if haunted mansion were western it's like a it's like a spooky western kind of burlesque show <laughs> and that that bass just sets the mood and when that piano comes just like falling in it's incredible these guys i think this song is where it like they kind of earn their suits 
I love I love the idea of them <laughs> dressed up on stage doing this because it's it's that perfect vibe. Definitely, yeah. And and this was one. This was an early early favorite of mine. Not just because of you know how how different it is from the song before it on this classic album, but you need levity after a song like the mercy seat you need levity after four albums of relative you know it's grim subject matter and and a lot of times it is handled with a lot of humor but this song i think reaches a new point for the band uh showing a new side of themselves um and really leaning into the humor yeah absolutely as as far as like playing a character goes i think this is one where nick puts everything into and is just is just kind of looser in that it's more of a cartoon character than he has been in the past where in the past it's been more of um you know solemn it's been crazy it's been insane it's been all this you know different stuff but this is this is again almost like a a spooky western cartoon character that comes out and uh, he really puts us all into that yeah definitely i mean this is this is top tier nick cave guy Nick yes. Cave protagonist, if you will. Uh, Absolutely. One of the best guys. One of the best and just, you know, in being one of the worst. Not that we know what he does. That's that's the other thing I love about this song. There's there's so much ambiguity, it's just you know, it's it's all it's all on the pursuit of this man by by something beyond him, something supernatural. And we never really get into the subject matter, which, you know, we've seen in previous songs, that ambiguity we talked about that really like, but here it's just, there is no, there's nothing to grab onto. There's no way to even know what it is this man has done with his life, because as far as he claims that he's really just, it didn't matter. Um, but I love that too. I think that adds, adds a lot of levity here as well, and that we're not dealing with, you know, the the grimness itself, just the, the man's dealing with this grimness and how he sees that in relation to a larger... Um, supernatural force that that stalks him throughout his life yeah and there there is some grisly imagery here that we'll get into but i think just the the way it's delivered it's just hard to not crack a smile uh yeah. through a lot of it so the title is a reference to robert johnson's preach and blues up jump the devil um looking over the lyrics of that song there's definitely some through lines you can draw um, I don't know that it's worth spending a whole lot of time on that, but it, it appears to be at least where uh, Cave got the title. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it's clearly a reference um, to that song. He talks about Robert Johnson later in his career. It's it's a huge influence on him, the music of Robert Johnson. Um, you know, Robert Johnson meeting the devil as well as is sort of kind of this mythos that Nick has glommed on to. And so I think any opportunity to merge those two things, especially early in his career, he, he leapt at with, with great uh, gusto. Um, and I tried to find, there are so many different things out there called up jump the devil. Um, there's a song by Roy Brown, uh, a couple of years after the Robert Johnson one, that's more of like a, a rock blues um, about the devil approaching him uh driving this big cadillac and i thought that was funny looking back at blind lemon jefferson you know he don't drive (laughs) no cadillac he's holy and you know we have this song about the devil says he's 10 foot tall drives up in a big cadillac and it's all about this guy saying oh don't take me um there's rockabilly where the devil is you know a woman that kind of comes into town and you know she's the obviously the devil she surprises everyone in town by by showing up and you know everyone knows she's trouble 
um, comedically, actually, this phrase also appears in uh, the Frank Zappa classic Titties and Beer. Um, <laughs> he up jumped the devil and actually uh, robbed robbed Zappa of his titties and beer uh, for, a, for a time. Um, but it seems that Robert Johnson was the first time I could find this lyrically anywhere. And the phrase itself, I don't think, has an origin beyond just the blues history in which it's rooted. I, I couldn't find anything biblically or anything beyond that first appearance in the 1930s of that exact phrase. But it's used in so many different contexts when it comes to um, American music. There's there's also a disco track. Um, it's actually pretty catchy, <laughs> called "Up Jump the Devil," and it's a it's a through line there as well. But again, means something completely different. So, <laughs> yeah, um, this song also apparently received a quote boost in popularity as it appeared in the video game Alan Wake, uh, which I have not played. What? I didn't yes. know that. Yeah, I haven't played Alan Wake either. But, huh? Yeah. So with that, let's get right into the lyrics. Sean, in this context, in this song's context, what does Up Jump the Devil mean to you? To me, it is simply the declaration that the devil has arisen from hell suddenly uh, without much warning and has at, you know, at various turns in this man's life attempted to cut him off or at the very least make his presence known as he stalks him towards the ultimate goal of of capturing his immortal soul and uh yeah beginning beginning with the very moment of this man's birth he tracks it back to that time um do you get a different read off of it i i think that's probably the intended reading um i mean and and probably the most literal uh reading but there is a lot as we'll get to when we start digging into these verses um that kind of makes me think you know this song this song has a lot to do it's wrapped up in free will as we'll get to there's a lot of different um sort of meditations on culpability or whatever as silly as the song is um for me i i might take it as maybe something within him jumping up and uh and him him uh passing the buck if you will as many cave narrators have to uh you know chalking things up to a force greater than him very much yeah absolutely and you know the devil and in the context of art and and song and story is you know often portrayed as a force within man biblically that's that's a huge part of it is that you know the devil can can enter you and exist in your heart and I, I love that reading too that you know it jumps up in him and forces his hand in certain situations um or you know to him forces his hand quote unquote yeah exactly yep yeah just um you know it's a, a phrase that appears a lot so i wanted to kind of address that um from the go but yeah do you want to get us started on verse one yeah let's do it um as i said the music comes in with just that grinding bass and then the slapping piano and then, then Nick just kind of rips in here with, with verse one, um, describing his birth. Oh my, oh my, what a wretched life. I was born on the day that my poor mama died. I was cut from her belly with a Stanley knife. My daddy did a jig with a drunk midwife, um, which is, oh, that's as, as bad a birth as you could probably possibly get. 
yeah, I would say so. Pretty bad birth uh, <laughs> this time. That's rough. Who knows if she even needed her belly cut, but uh, mother's dead. It doesn't sound like it was just a botched C-section. It sounds like it might have been something of a drunken murder, and his father is doing some sort of a dance, um, a jig, if you will, with a with an intoxicated midwife. So all around a bad deal. Yeah, and it's not really clear. I mean, this could be some weird ritual, yeah. dark ritual birth. Um, <laughs> I choose to kind of take it as, you know, he comes from maybe not great stock and uh this was just sort of a you know maybe they had nowhere to else to go um but then the the dad doing the jig obviously is uh something ain't right something ain't right with these people sean yeah no it's a little off i would say um two things though that i find interesting about this verse i of course dug in biblically immediately um to try and find (laughs) the stanley knife is mentioned many times in the old testament um no i tried to find examples of um death and childbirth in the bible and there's really only two um one of which is a woman who actually names her son um inglorious ichabod is is what the name is and um it was because the ark of the covenant was stolen from israel and so it's just it's funny to see that sort of tie-in, you know, it's getting conspiratorial levels of tie-in, but uh, right after the mercy seat, talking so much about the Ark of the Covenant that one of the only examples of um, a mother's death and childbirth in the Bible, which I thought there'd be plenty of, but there is not, is actually a nameless mother. She doesn't, she's never given a name in the Bible. She's referred to as someone's wife. Um, And actually her husband was a real shithead too in the Bible. But uh, she dies and, and names her son inglorious or, you know, absent of glory. And uh, I think that that's what we see here uh, writ large. Um, I like that, yeah. I mean, and, and Cave's fascination with the Bible is, you know, certain connections could be more tenuous than others, but we know that he's he's thinking about this stuff, so it's worth uh, worth examining. Yeah, if nothing else, it just, I don't know, you can you can pretty much find reference to most things in the Bible. It's its funny, the more I look into it, the more <laughs> it's, it's very true. There are a lot of stories in there. Um, the second is, this kind of places us at a point in time, because a Stanley knife is a box cutter, and I've always associated that with, you know, fairly modern times, and I thought that this was more like an 1800s song, but uh, the Stanley knife was actually created in, in 1936, and so this places us around the time of uh, Robert Johnson, um, which I think is just another interesting tidbit. I think it puts a little historical context around this character and, you know, where he might be and where he goes that uh, was contrary to what I first imagined him to be. Yeah, and that's interesting. I do kind of have a, a very old-timey, I think partially because of the music um, image in my head uh, yeah. when it comes to this song. That said, I think verse one, you know, despite those contexts being important to examine, I think the the key thing, the key takeaway that Nick is is searching for is, you know, basically from go, this guy's life is, you know, there's a pall over it, there's a shadow over it, um, you know, upon entering the world, it's it's all bad, and then with the Stanley knife, it just it feels like they didn't. It, that is brought brought up to let you know that they didn't really give a shit about the 
mother's wellness or the kid's wellness when doing this uh, it's procedure. fucking gruesome yeah. gruesome shit uh from papa don't preach <laughs> um yeah moving on to the chorus who's that yonder all in flames dragging behind him a sack of chains who's that yonder all in flames up jumped the devil and he staked his claim on me visions of of the supernatural starting to to swim into focus and yet we don't know much about this guy yet this great nick cave guy uh, other but, than from birth he has had his his soul claimed perhaps and and according to him had no agency from this very time yeah from day one devil jumps up says hey that dude's mine and uh uses chains which famously in the bible is what jesus used to tether satan to hell uh, to you know, perhaps uh, get ready to tether this guy to to him, to hell itself. Mm-hmm. And and moving right along to verse two, uh, more from the narrator. Oh poor heart, I was doomed from the start, doomed to play the villain's part. I was the baddest Johnny in the apple cart. My blood was blacker than the chambers of a dead nun's heart. <laughs> <laughs> I love that imagery. And we're having fun. We're having fun the whole time. <laughs> That's right. Very balanced. And just to keep in context, very balancing music still. It's it's really, there's there's one real riff in this song that, you know, goes between chorus and verse, and it's it's all jaunty. It's all very fun. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, not, not a whole lot to say about this verse. Um, it, it's almost blasphemous he's he's almost blaspheming by invoking a dead nun <laughs> to, <laughs> to describe uh not only to to uh to sort of denigrate the the nun herself but the very idea of of devoting herself to to religion um what do you make of this baddest johnny in the apple cart line <laughs> I just think it's a funny turn of phrase. You know, there's Johnny Appleseed obviously was a decent dude who went around America and planted apple seeds with a pan on his head. And, uh, you know, just being a, a Johnny in an apple cart is just a funny way of saying, you know, I was the baddest of the bunch, the bad apple in the in the bunch. And uh, yeah, as you said, then going into the religious imagery, I don't I don't even know what blacker than the chambers of a dead nun's heart means. <laughs> Because, uh, like, I again, I looked this up. I couldn't find anything. <laughs> but uh, two very, very funny, very, you know, adding some levity to a very grim situation, but two good ways of saying, you know, I was the worst of the worst. Yeah, and kind of a woe is me, oh, poor heart, do yeah. to play the villain's yeah. part, baddest Johnny in the apple cart is also kind of G-shucks. And then the fucking grim, <laughs> my blood was blacker <laughs> than... Um, yeah, just a, a really nice little dichotomy there. Um, the apple cart can also refer to a cart filled with apples. Um, but sometimes it also means, you know, a plan or, you know, society or, or, or a structure of some kind. And, you know, turning the apple cart often, you know, can mean, you know, upending this established order. So some fun apple imagery there. Damn, something I learned today. I've, yep, and and I'll bring it up again. It's it's you know worth noting. He never talks about what he does 
it's it's never brought up. He never says, you know, what it is that he's actually doing. It's just this, you know, ooh, from the start, I I was doomed. My blood is black. Like, what else is there to be done? But he never actually references directly his crimes. Um, yes. So they sound pretty bad. Quintessential Nick Cave character kind of deflecting and, and putting off the blame and, and trying to blame it on something beyond himself. Yeah, definitely. And more parallels to the mercy seat. I mean, that song is is sort of ambiguous about what he, you know, we can assume based on where he is, at least in that song, that he's done something of a certain severity. Um, but yeah, this one really, really takes that and runs with it. Yeah. Who's that milling round the courthouse steps? Nailing my face to the hitching fence. Who's that milling round the courthouse steps? Up jumped the devil and off we crept sneaking away sneaking away um you know nailing my face to the hitching fence while a a fun image uh to take literally feels to me more like you know wanted posters Uh, oh yeah gotta catch this guy as funny as it would be to i'm imagining him just kind of at like a hitching post like a like a horse (laughs) <laughs> very funny image to me of, of nick cave just chilling out there but <laughs> unfortunately i don't think there's anything here to support that so yes and uh yeah this is this is one of those things that gave me that old timey vibe was like you know the fuck has a hitching post but i guess yeah. in the 1930s he'd still have this around and you know if he's if he's in one of these kind of i don't know southern towns where people still ride horses and shit you'd you'd have this situation um or where horses are judges at the courthouses that's right that was i think alabama had a number of circuit court judges that were horses until the 1950s yeah um it's it's also kind of schizophrenic here because i think this is the first glimpse at you know him trying to personify the devil um, outside of just, you know, looking back at his birth, because that itself is kind of like a, well, how the fuck are you looking around and saying, oh, the devil was at my birth? He can't remember that. This, I, I feel like, is the character kind of looking around where he's at and, and just seeing people milling around the courthouse um, and, you know, very paranoid about uh, what he's done and who's looking for him, maybe just projecting in that moment that, oh, God, it's the fucking devil. You know, the person kneeling my face to the hitching post of the devil, the people outside the the court, it's all the devil. And so this is, I think, the first uh, step in the descent that we see this character go down into um, the madness that he goes down into that, you know, most cave characters go down into. Um, I immediately get vibes of this guy just, you know, being paranoid of of trying to project this this image of a supernatural force following him onto just people around him doing their business. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything actually going on here that has to do with the devil uh besides yeah. stuff going on in this guy's head. Definitely. No, I think that's a really good good way to to read and approach that fairly ambiguous chorus. And so creeping off first three, oh no, oh no, where could I go? With my hump of trouble and my sack of woe, to the digs and the deserts of Mexico, where my neck was safer from the lynching rope. So, you know, he's creeping off and trying to get away from uh, the legal repercussions for what it is he's done, whatever that might be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not much, not much more to say than that, other than you know, great 
turns of phrase, my hump of trouble and my sack of woe, you know, digs in deserts of Mexico, some great, um, you know, just the, the way he, he lays out the lines, the syllables, everything just really in this verse feels, feels really just super tight. Super, super tight. And, um, not to dig too much into this, but it's, you know, just use of the word again, hump of trouble. Uh, I get avalanche vibes off of that. The hump yeah. is, you know, the ugly hump that he wears is the thing that kind of marks him for whatever it was he was digging after. And so he has a hump of trouble. It's a thing that, you know, he has to carry around with him at this point and uh, sneak off with and deal with. And so I think that that is worth a mention, whether it's intentional or not. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And of course, going down to Mexico, uh, he he sees the devil once more. Who's that yonder laughing at me? Like I was the brunt of some hilarity. Who's that yonder laughing at me? Well, up jumped the devil. One, two, three. <laughs> Andrew, what what does one, two, three mean to you? <laughs> um, hmm. uh, that's that's really. I think that. I, I think these choruses are really interesting to me in that they they evolve and change. Um, you know, their lyrics are different every time. Normally the point of a chorus is to sort of return to the same kind of thing. And he does return to the same structure. And the, the music will kind of amp up. But it's, yeah. it's similar to the Mercy Seat. There's not a distinct part here other than lyrically. And even the lyrics for the choruses change. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, him trying to identify somebody outside of him, without him, um, doing something at him, and he just calls them the devil for it. And so, you know, at first it was people milling around the courthouse steps, and this time it's someone laughing at him, or just laughing. And so again, I don't, you, you could see this, him like literally seeing the devil, like pointing at him and laughing, but... I, again, see this as a kind of uh, signpost to some kind of paranoia that puts him in a place to be in a crowd and just see people laughing around him and assume that it's about him, assume that, you know, it's somebody mocking his every step. Um, so I, I think that this just develops the character more and more, this repetition, this changing, and, you know, these these different point outs of things that are fairly innocuous um, as the result of a guilty conscience projecting that paranoia out into the world around him, even if it's not actually there, even if it's not actually, you know, something that is, that is tangible or something that's real. Um, he's seeing it and maybe no one else is. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, and, and the fact that all these courses begin with who's that, who's that, um, it's like he's seeing some mirage in the distance of, yeah this uh this force that seems to be controlling him if you want to if you want to take his word for it yep um we get the great evil witch laugh after the <laughs> one two three i'm not sure who that is it feels like a blixa thing almost but uh i'm not i'm not quite sure who they got to do the the uh cackle so if anybody knows write in let us know yeah, that that's a question I would love to ask because I was trying to identify it too, and I could I could see it being absolutely anybody, <laughs> but it's it's amazing. Um, verse four, ha 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 ha! How lucky we were! 
we hit the cat house and we sampled their wares uh some some vocal gymnastics <laughs> sampled their words their words <laughs> we got as drunk as a couple of czars that night i swatted my lucky star sean did you hear this has swallowed my lucky star i heard it has swallowed my lucky stars and okay. uh i yeah swatted my lucky star i don't know if i'm buying that but it's i guess what it is swatted my lucky star feels like it's correct to me but it, it doesn't sound like what he says for me no swallowed um, doesn't make as much sense for me well swallowed i was assuming it was some reference to drinking um you know going into a cat house and just getting shit-faced when you know you really should be actually on the down low avoiding the law because you're on the lamb um but swatted my lucky star conjures up more of you know um, moon is in the gutter your funeral my trial saint huck all these you know celestial body um lines about them being in a pool of water a gutter a reflection of stars and moons and stuff and so some guy being down and out again drinking falling in the gutter and maybe swatting at these things that's kind of what gets um conjured here or more simply, somebody just, you know, pushing away their luck, knowing the right path, their lucky star is right in front of them. And they actually say, you know, get the fuck out. I'm, you know, going to live it up at this point in time when, again, should really be kind of laying low. Yeah, I the swallowed thing does make more sense, you know, thinking about him being drunk and stuff. For me, you know, the line about hitting hitting the cat houses and getting drunk feels very much like some stuff that will be talking about in the relatively near future uh one album in particular kind of is evoked here for me but the swatting my lucky star you know this guy is this guy is sort of this cartoonish portrayal of like a you know born under a bad sign kind of guy like everything's been wrong since birth you know he was born under a bad cosmic uh sort of Born under a bad cosmic situation, so to speak. And with a blue moon in his eyes, as, <laughs> as some might say. <laughs> Any Sopranos fans out there? Um, and, and the lucky star would be, you know, if you were born under a good sign or you were born, you know, with the, with the right star, it's, it's sort of used to evoke, you know, a charmed birth uh, in a lot of, a lot of contexts. So, him swatting his lucky star to me feels like his first and maybe only admission that he is he has agency over making his life become this sort of at at very at the most banal uh, carousing life yeah yeah no that this is yeah regardless the first um mention in this whole song of him having any sort of luck at all and any sort of agency over harnessing that luck to better his lot in life and he he immediately says that he swats it huh yeah and he's a he's a man of cat houses and and bars look no no judgment here that sounds sounds pretty fun uh but it does sort of paint (laughs) him as someone that enjoys uh sort of uh, at least a, a lifestyle of bacchanalia yeah Next chorus, 
once again, beginning with Who's That? Uh, who's That Dancing on the Jailhouse Roof? Stamping on the ramping with a cloven hoof. Who's That Dancing on the Jailhouse Roof? Up jumped the devil and said, Here's your man, I got proof. Ooh. Those first two lines are incredible. Um, <laughs> stamping on the ramping just has the such a great flow. And then just total... The train goes off the tracks. <laughs> more more lyrical gymnastics to make something fit that maybe doesn't maybe a little too too many syllables there at the end. <laughs> but it works so well. It, it works does. so well. And I I gotta agree. I always thought it was stamping and a ramping with a cloven hoof. I didn't realize that ramping was the the um ramped edge of a of a roof um and so i thought that ramping was some verb for you know someone with cloven hooves dancing around <laughs> um regardless it it works incredibly and so this is i think the first time that the man has gone off the rails and that he's seeing someone actually doing a jig on top of the jailhouse roof um <laughs> which i i don't think was actually happening but uh you know probably because of his carousing because of you know going to ham with whatever luck he had left uh somebody identified him and he's calling them the devil now you know that's the one that says you know that's the person outside of him that is now the supernatural force that's followed him but at the end of the day it's probably just because he made too big of a noise with his face you know on the hitching post outside <laughs> yeah exactly and it doesn't even have to be that this accuser is the the uh the devil even though that is something that's in the text it 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 could just be you know this icon this symbol of his negatively charmed life uh leading him here i mean there's there's a lot of ways to read that but the devil actually getting a line here is is very nice um and yeah and plays the the accuser here for sure yeah yep and jumping in just we're we're at the end here you know devil said here's your man i got proof and uh verse five is kind of a self-reflective verse this is one where he draws inside and we don't get much you know physical action he's not going anywhere but oh no oh no don't go oh slow down joe the righteous path is straight as an arrow take a walk and you'll find it's too narrow too narrow for the likes of me um and i we get more Joe imagery here, you know. We've we've talked about this a bit, but uh, uh, Cave obviously loves the song "Hey Joe." Um, Knocking on Joe is a song that he um, that we we've talked about where he's in jail, and you know we we talked about some of the similarities between the references to Joe there and the references to the other songs. Um, he he covered more hey, Joe to come. More Joe. There's always more Joe. Um, <laughs> He, he covered Hey Joe, and the song Hey Joe is actually about a guy who shoots his wife and heads down to Mexico. And so this is, I think, the only look into what this guy could have done um, to, be, to be so wanted as he is. And, of course, it's more a character killing his significant other. But um, this this reference to Joe kind of comes out of nowhere, but is not unprecedented in the Nick Cave canon. Absolutely, no. That's a. I mean, just just one name, just one word. Uh, even 
you know, we're, we're just kind of getting to the fifth album here, but already imbued with a lot of uh, meaning. Yeah. Knowing Cave. This is the kind of analysis you come to us for. You come to us to look at various Joes and uh, apple apples in carts and such, and, and this is the service we provide to you. That's right, and the service I provide to myself, because I always thought this said, um, don't go all slow down too not uh oh slow down joe and so i was i was hearing gibberish when there was actually you know i think something some referential meaning there so i am thanking myself at this point for slowing down and uh actually reading the text let's both thank ourselves silently right now all right moving on to the final chorus who's that hanging from the gallow tree his eyes are plucked, but he looks like me. Now who's that swinging from the gallow tree? Up jumped the devil and took my soul from me. Now, as we've talked about, you can take this so many ways. You can take it, it extremely literally, uh, which would imply a lot of supernatural slash biblical events actually transpiring. You can take it as this this bad sign he was born under he had no choice the, the devil had his soul from the beginning took his soul at the end of his life because of his circumstances or you can take it as well i'm dead now because of what i did and i've been you know bringing the devil into this so and 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 obviously there's different more granular sort of combinations of those things but i think it puts a really nice bow on this song and a bunch of different possible meanings. Yeah, no, it, it wraps it up very nicely. Um, no matter how you take it, no matter how you read this last part. And it, it's very reminiscent of the mercy seat in that. I think we mentioned it at the end of the last episode was, you know, I don't know if the guy is actually in the chair, if he's thinking about the chair, if he's putting himself in the shoes of everyone else going to the chair what that is um here you kind of get the same thing where you know is it his soul standing outside the gallow tree looking and going who who's that and realizing that you know he's dead and then the devil comes up and takes him down is it him seeing someone else hanging there and seeing himself in that person um i don't know i don't know and i don't think it matters because it it does end the song in such a way that um we we've gotten this guy from cradle to grave on the path that he knew he was going to take, or at least, you know, prescribed to himself after the fact as the path, the only path that he could have taken, um, hanging from a gallow tree at the end, caught up with, uh, his deeds have caught up with him. His, his birth has caught up with him. His, the devil and his claim, you know, has ultimately caught up with him. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I also want to say this, is where it hit me. I'm I'm rereading Blood Meridian right now, and I just want to throw out there that I think that this song is a homage at the very least to Blood Meridian, um, and I have receipts to back that up. This isn't just speculation. Uh, Blood Meridian is about is Cormac McCarthy, um, one perhaps his magnum opus, a great American novel about a character called the Kid, who is just you know a down and out kind of kind of guy who who joins up with various uh paramilitary groups with gangs with everything and travels all throughout the u.s and then down to mexico 
invites Mexicans and Apaches and, and all sorts of people along the way, um, committing horrible acts of violence, seeing horrible acts of violence committed. Um, but the character itself, you know, was born to a mother who died in childbirth to the kid. Um, he is also constantly followed and, you know, in, in somewhat of a supernatural way by someone uh, dubbed the judge or Judge Holden, who is a character um, described as a as a giant albino man with alopecia, who wherever he goes, sows discord and violence and, you know, is himself uh, described as never aging as this very demon-like figure. And I get the same vibe from this song as I do from that book. And just given those connections, it feels like, like Cave read that book and wanted to make something if not exactly that story, obviously, wanted to make it his own, um, wanted to make something very much in that vein. And ultimately what happens in the story, not to spoil too much, um, it's, it's not that the kid has the law catch up with him. Um, he actually ends up seeing his fellow compatriots, sees himself in their hangings and ends up seeing you know other people um, to whom the law is caught up with uh, meet their ends. And then in a cat house in a bar kind of meets his in an ambiguous way with the judge. Um, and so if you're taking the judge to be the devil, it it really mirrors what's happening here. And so the receipts I'm talking about, Blood Meridian came out in 1985. This came out in 1988, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and in the Red Hand Files recently, when when asked by, you know, 20-somethings, what kind of book should I read, Nick? He, he put Blood Meridian as like number two and said, I read this at a very young age. You should read these things because, you know, they give you insight into these worlds that these people have created. And so I think that similarities are too, too big to ignore, um, which all said is really just a pitch. Go, go read Blood Meridian because it's fucking tight. Um, but it, it's really the same vibe and I think a huge influence on this song um, because the the overall through line, the again, Cradle to Grave, uh, really does follow uh, pretty closely the main character of, of that novel. Yeah, definite similarities. Definitely had heard previously to learning about the Red Hand Files known that, that uh, Cave was explicitly a fan of McCarthy and we will get to at least one other song that has a very explicit uh, McCarthy reference. Yeah. Uh, nope. If we can remember to talk about it. <laughs> we'll see. Um, we will see. But yes, yeah, very, very much uh, a through line um, from that book, especially to, to here. And we are two for two on criminals being executed <laughs> on this album. <laughs> so far <laughs> absolutely um moving to the outro down 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 we go down we go the devil and me for eternity down we go you know uh down we go down we go the down devil go. and me down we go down. the devil and me down we go down we go down we go down down, down we go the yeah, devil and down me down. We go. down yeah that's it <laughs> that's it baby <laughs> That's the end of the song. Devil got um, him. <laughs> Devil always gets his man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I love this song deeply, musically, lyrically. It's it's just really, I mean, it is again 
to me a little overlong. <laughs> this outro goes on a little long, but and I think I, you know five minutes is a little extreme for a song like this, but um, it still feels really tight uh, lyrically, thematically, and it's fun as hell. Yeah, and and musically, I mean, it feels tight. It's simple, it's straightforward, yeah. but it has a hell of a hook. And uh, yeah, this this was one of the first Cave songs that stuck its claim on me. Uh, and still, I can I can listen to it eternally. This will be one that you know I go to the grave listening to because it's just always such a highlight whenever it comes on. Um, I don't know. It's it's a it's a unique all to itself in a way the carney is uh much shorter than the carney and i think much more interesting and so it, it kind of wins out in that novelty song arena um almost elevating itself to not so much a novelty song as just a unique piece of cave's rich discography yeah it, it feels effortless compared to something like the carney as well which i think when pulled off really really works yeah nope and uh, yeah, the devil got his hooks in us, got us hosting a podcast. Sean, where can they find us online? I'm so glad you asked. Um, please, please, please let us know what you're thinking so far. We're, we're a couple albums deep and we want to hear from you. So drop us a line. Uh, you can always reach us via email at todayslessonpod at gmail.com. You can reach out and tweet at us at todayslessonpod on Twitter or think we're doing a great job and want to toss us a couple coins for the effort uh please 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 go to patreon.com slash today's lesson and uh vote with your dollars that's right vote with your dollars um you know we we enjoy talking about this stuff and uh and we want to talk with like-minded individuals about this good good stuff Mm. next time you should be listening to Another Stone Cold classic uh, from this album, the third track from Tender Prey, the rollicking, blistering Deanna. Yeah. Banger alert. If you thought this one was fun, just wait for Deanna. Uh, Bangers. Bangers so far on this album, for sure. It's It's a turkey of bangers. As a, three a bowler beat. would put it. Three banger casserole. Hmm. Hmm. Three banger salad. Bangers and mash. Until next time, down we go. A down we go. A down, 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 down we go. We actually, you'll you'll hear this in a second, the outro music. <laughs> yeah, we bar... <laughs> no, it's unrelated. It's not copyrighted. It's, <laughs> there's nothing... <laughs> that's right sorry you won't stop you absolutely won't this is something unrelated just happens to align with our outro music that you'll hear in a moment bye goodbye
For more on apple carts, please visit today's lesson pod on twitter.com. Uh, please load in Carta 95 and you will <laughs> have an interactive PC walkthrough of apples and carts. And Apple Carta 1955. <laughs> 1995. <laughs> For your home PC in 1955. All right, I, let's go. Let's get a drink. <laughs>